It says this. Hopefully you're there. It says this. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Point number one, I'm going to dive right in, is the meekness of Christ. When we hear meek, our meekness, there's a misconception, usually a misconception of warfare. Meekness in general, when you hear meekness, you think of timid, of held back. There's an old movie, it's called The Usual Suspects. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I'm really sorry, but it, it's way past the time. There's a guy there, he's a criminal, there's a group of criminals, and there's this one guy, the, they found this one guy, and he's really meek and timid, and he's got this, and he's got to tell the story of how this crime happened. And he's saying, like, well, I'm just this one guy, I'm just this, and the whole movie, he's telling the whole story of how the whole movie is played out, and he's very, like, when people are around him, he's very cautious, very quiet, very, like, but at the end, when they say, okay, you're free to go, he walks out, and at the whole movie, he was the one in charge. He was the one that was pulling all the strings. And you've seen movies like that. But in my mind, that's what always been. It's the timid guy, the meekness. But if you actually understand meekness a little bit differently, it is the strength and power that is held in check. I think so many times we forget that Jesus at any time could have called on the angels and said, game over. At any time, there is, a, there is a power, but he kept in check because he knew of the salvation he was bringing. He knew what was happening. There was this, this power that he had, but he had also it held in check. Meekness is not failing or cowardice. It is a self-God-controlled display of gentleness. Being wise, not easily provoked. How many times have we been provoked by something? Pretty quickly. A meek person is not bitter or angry. So when you take a look at this, this is what Paul is saying, and I love it because when we start understanding how Paul is viewing Jesus, how we are supposed to view Jesus properly, then we better to ourselves can live it out. It is an easier display for us. Does meekness display in your life to live as Christ would? Paul wants us to come to to them boldly. Paul wants us to come with grace. And that's what Paul's doing right here. Paul is coming with boldly, but also with grace in so many times. Just this last week, I was at uh, at the gym. I was working out, and I saw someone that I had coached because I used to coach cross country, I had saw someone that I had coached back in high school. 
okay? So we were talking and, of course, telling some good, old, uh, good stories. It was a great conversation. And even back then, she knew that I was a believer. She knew that I loved Jesus. But even in that moment, I was questioning how much grace do I or how bold do I go in this situation? Because I love her as a cross-country person. I love her in all these other kinds of sets. But I really want her to know Jesus loves her. I really want to know, what does that boldness look like? How do you conversate? And all of us go through that. And this is what is being challenged at the beginning, right here at the beginning, because Paul is being questioned in verse 1, part 2. It says this, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. The people are saying that he's timid when he's to your face, and then when he's away, when he writes these letters, he's bold. It's really funny, isn't it, when the false teachers try to cause division, try to make things awkward, try to say, hey, he's graceful when he's to your face, but when he's away, he's much more bold. That is why I'm a face-to-face -face talker. I rank social media and how you communicate in order. Email, I despise. Because when I get an email... I don't see if a person's smiling. I don't see if a person's happy. I just see facts. I just see facts done. Then next is text. Texts get a little bit better if you have a smiley face emoji at the end. Because then I can sort of read where you're at. Phone call, I can see the deflection. I can see how, oh, it's how, okay, I can read it. But face to face, I love. Because I can read how the person took something. I say something, hey, would you like to do this? And I can almost instantly tell before they said anything. They're like, I want nothing to do with you. And they didn't even say a word, and I knew it in my heart. But you had that, the communication when you get there. And so when Paul cares and loves about these people, he does this. But it doesn't also mean that he does not hold back when he writes letters or boldness. But it's so interesting that people try to drive up issues and de devise plans it would almost sound like that's warfare. It would almost sound like they want to cause issues. But then Paul lays it out um, in verse 2, which I really like. He says, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Just so you know, if you know Paul, Paul is not afraid of confrontation. I don't know if that would be on the list of, like, Paul. In Galatians 2.11, it says this. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. I opposed him to his face. Paul is not afraid to go, okay, let's do this, okay? But I like how MacArthur says this. Paul, in this uh, situation begged the rebellious minority not to force him to display his boldness by confronting them something he would do he warned if necessary so at some point always in our life the rubber has to meet the road correct i have two kids me and my wife spend time making meals for them we serve them. They do not want to eat them. Food that we spend time with. So then what do we do? We bribe them with dessert. 
you eat this, then you can get what you want. What happens when they don't eat that, but they still get the dessert? We have set some new plan where they know, oh, I don't have to eat. I can just be sweet, or I can be so loud and annoying that they'll finally give in. It's a stronghold that has started to take over. They're like, I know how to play this. I know how to manipulate this. I know how to do that. Do you not think that happens in our lives? How we interact with people? Oh, I can manipulate this situation to get what I want, to get what I need. I can start creating this. Do you not see that this is happening with them as well? He is, he, Paul is saying that there are strongholds that start to take over. And that will be how we attack it here coming up. Paul then says that these false teachers who accused them of walking in the flesh. Now this is, this is attack which in the end of verse 2 says this. Who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. That would not go over really well. But Paul does something really great. Because if you're supposed to be walking in the spirit, then you're accused of walking in the flesh. There is, okay, we're going to have this out. But Paul does something great here. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, Paul is saying, yeah, I walk physically in the flesh. He turns it back on them and he says, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Paul is talking about spiritual warfare here. Paul is saying that I am human, but we are battling spiritual enemies and we cannot use human resources. That leads to point number two, spiritual warfare. I do think that there are many believers or even churchgoers who forget and don't know that we are constantly in this epic battle, this epic warfare and struggle. I also believe that there are a lot of believers and Christians that do know, but they forget the seriousness and then also the dangers of how to battle spiritual warfare. We think we can fight spiritual battles with human methods if we just have the right program, if our TV was just bigger, or if we didn't have a TV at all, more people would come. If the pastor was just more wise, be this, if they just played this song, then more people would come. We continue to battle this humanly effort, and we battle this all the time, this human fight to try to win against evil, and it's to no avail. I'm letting you know there's no kids in the room right now, okay? I'm going to play a clip. It's going to be from Batman. And it's against the Joker. Okay? It is a little rough. I am letting you know that now. I think it plays, though, into the part of what we're dealing with. So if you don't like that, you can close your eyes. You can you cannot have to. I don't want to. If you know me, I'm not edgy. I'm goofy. Okay? There's clearly a difference. This is not an edgy thing. But I do think when you're battling with spiritual warfare, I think there's times where you've got to know what you're battling with and how you're battling so this is the Batman for the Joker. Batman needs information. He's looking for Harvey Dent. He's looking for the prosecutor. He's looking for him. And the Joker's the only one that knows where he's at. But the Batman also is Bruce Wayne. If you don't know that, then 
shame on you. Uh, he's got a girl that also, you'll find out, is taken as well. So here's the clip, and then we'll go from there. These rules, and you think they'll save you. He's in control. I have one rule. Oh, then that's the rule you'll have to break to know the truth. Which is? The only sensible way to live in this world is without rules. And tonight you're gonna break your one rule. I'm considering it. No, there's only minutes left. You're gonna have to play my little game if you want to save one of them. Yeah. You know, for a while there, I thought you really were a dent. The way you threw yourself after her. Look at you go! Does Harvey know about you and his little bunny? Where are they? Killing is making a choice. Where are they? Choose between one life or the other. Your friend, the district attorney. Or his blushing bride to be. You have nothing. Nothing to threaten me with. Nothing to do with all your strength. I'm gonna tell you where they are. Both of them. And that's the point. You'll have to choose. My favorite part is when he's down there laughing. You have nothing. You have nothing to threaten me with. You have nothing. That is us in our human when we are battling temptations with our human. We are battling. Don't we feel like at times we're swinging and we're wailing and trying to, yeah, we can do it this way. We can do it this way. And all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> you got nothing. You got nothing. You are battling even in the wrong realm. You are not even in the same hemisphere. You're not even, you can do nothing. And we're wondering why it doesn't work that way. So we have to decide what are those weapons? What are those weapons? We have to remember that Paul, in this instance, is writing to a divided church. A church seduced by false teachers. One that had gone away from truth and scripture. It has gone away. In warfare, it is easiest to attack when the hunted are separated. Okay? Right? If you're going to separate... You can start playing this clip while I keep talking. I made this clip PG, okay? Like, it's there because my wife would have not allowed me to see lions really separate. But in this one, there's a lion right there that has caught a bull. He's caught one, but the rest of the animals haven't given up on him. The rest of them are still there, and the lion still has a glint captured, but... As I was saying is the animals, there's many other animals where what they see. And then as a team, they have now protected and got the lion away. That was, I wanted to make sure after the dark night punching people, I, the next one wasn't as violent. Uh, but we've all seen those where what do they try to do? They try to separate. They try to separate. And that's what's happening here. Multiple division. How much division is in your life? How, much, how many times has it been said or you know that there are spiritual strongholds that have started to weigh in your life? 
where you've gotten the dessert before you ate the snack, where you've set different things in your life, where you get angry over situations, or you believe things about God that aren't true, or you start holding on to those kind of things. And then what happens is exactly that. It tries to separate you from the flock. It tries to separate you from godly wisdom. Can you show those two pictures of the squares? You have that? Perfect. Okay. They are very close, but you have to vote. You have to vote. One is bigger than the other. One is bigger than the other. Either square one is bigger or square two. And you will vote. Okay? You will vote. So it's very close. If you believe square one is bigger than the square two, raise your hand. Okay. If you believe square two is bigger than square one, raise your hand. Okay, I got a couple, I uh, don't want to, but everyone raise their hand. That's great. You're all wrong. It, they're the exact same. S strongholds. All of a sudden, you started to believe something, and I know that it's really hard, and I led you into it, but doesn't other people lead you into lies? Doesn't other people lead you into things that you know you shouldn't believe? How quickly was that happen? It, I was a liar for that moment, and I did a good job, didn't I? I got a lot of you to be like, yeah, I got to vote. I got to do it. I got to see it. No one came and said, they're both the same. They bought into it. What other strongholds have we bought into in our lives? where we can see truth, but it gets manipulated. You notice, though, a couple of things. How quickly did I move through it? You got to vote, and you got to vote now. You got to do this. You got to do it now. Everyone's got to vote all the time. You see that all the time. How much, how much time in your life? Quick stuff happens. You can make a fast decision. Oh, I'm going to miss out on an opportunity. If I don't take this job, I'm not going to pray about it. I'm just going to do it. Or whatever it is, strongholds can take over quickly. Lies and deceptions can take in quickly. MacArthur says this, the formidable spiritual strongholds manned by the forces of hell can only be demolished only by spiritual weapons guided by godly believers. Paul talks here, and you've got to go to Ephesians 6, 11 through 18, if you want to talk about how to deal with spiritual warfare. It's up on the screen, but also if you want to write it down or open up your Bible, I want you to uh, get used to opening up your Bible. This is Ephesians 6, 11 through 18. It says this, put on the full armor of God. Now, I want you to pay attention because so many times you guys have heard stuff so many times that sometimes, oh yeah, I've heard this before. No, process it, dig in, listen to it, think about it. It says, put on the full armor of God. Right away, you know, don't put on just one thing. Just don't, just don't deal with, oh, I put on the helmet of salvation and you're good. He's saying, put on the full armor so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's already processing. The devil's got schemes against you. There's attacks against you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Which I think 
if you think about it that way, Paul knows to Corinth, he's not just dealing with these false teachers, he's dealing with the enemy. He's dealing with spiritual battles. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. It says this in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasion with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Number three, know your weapons. Growing up as a kid, I always thought that was the coolest thing. A gun montage. Maybe not the best in church, but I was like a kid. It was like, do you not think for a second that Arnold knows his weapons? What war he's going into? What he's dealing with? There's a lot of people that would not know, uh, this is a hand grenade. Where do I pull? What do I do? How long? Like, if you don't know your weapon, you're in danger. You're in trouble. If you don't have any weapons, you're in trouble. You know, yeah. Arnold knew his weapons for the war he was going into. And we must know our weapons. We must know our weapons. I'm going to be focusing on the sword of the spirit today. But here's a good rundown. And I like how Guzik points this out. He does a great job of the... Uh, displaying Corinth of what we're in 2 Corinthians, how they're displaying human weapons compared to godly weapons. He says, instead of this, instead of the belt of truth, Corinth fought with manipulation. Instead of the breastplate of righteousness, Corinth fought with the image of success. Instead of the shoes of the gospel, they fought for words that tickled the ear. Instead of the shield of faith, they fought with the perception of power. Instead of the helmet of salvation, they fought with lording over their authority. And instead of the uh, sword of the spirit, they fought with human schemes and programs. Does that sound like the world today? How many of us try to come up humanly plans you see that even in churches today. They try to figure things out in a spiritual war in a humanly way. It's not possible. I'm going to focus on right now the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is truth. And godly truth can defeat Satan's falsehoods. Most of all those spiritual warfares, the shield, the shield, the helmet are very defensive. 
It's a very defensive sort of a a situation. So when the flames, it's talking about flaming arrows coming at you. When there's debris coming at you, when there's shrapnel that is coming, you have shields to protect you, you have helmets to protect you, have this kind of stuff. But the sword of the spirit is offensive. It is an attack position. This is spiritual warfare in its truest form. And what you are doing with the sword of the spirit is you are battling for people's strongholds. You are battling for your stronghold and you're battling other people's strongholds. That is why we challenge you to read the Bible. That is why it is great that you are here today. It is great because when you are here, you are able to be around other believers, but you are also able to battle strongholds in your life. What strongholds do you have in your life right now? What misconceptions are there in your life? I need you to be thinking about that. You need to be able to continue to learn about Scripture, not just read it, but to be able to dig in, ask questions. Know more about it so you know how to live it out, but also how you are able to help other people in spiritual warfare. The reason why I chose this was for the next verse. This whole reading, 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5, was for, it got, verse 5 always, always struck me. It says this, We destroy arguments with every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I've always wondered, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought. That sounds impossible. That sounds hard. What is, what is, that, what is going on there? I like, uh, during reading, we're right next to the town of Fort Wayne, correct? Like, Fort Wayne's right here. You think of a fort. What does a fort do? Fort, you build up so you can protect, right? I've always thought, okay, how do we take every thought captive? What, I like how Guzik sort of uh, talks with this and he deals with this. He talks that there are people that put a fort and then they have it against God. They take their thoughts captive against God. They don't want anything to do with them, so they take a fort and they try to protect it. And they try to say any reasoning, any uh, ideas, philosophies, anything like that, they want to protect that from the outside. You know, and that gave me a different pers- perception of how do we tear down those forts? Those forts are wrong. How many forts, though, do you have in your life? Forts that are wrong. Misconceptions about God. That you're like, oh, bad things happen. When I was growing up, one of the things, and this is a little bit more raw and real, and uh, my dad would even say this, and he apologized to me. He go, he would always say all the time is, it just didn't work out because we're pals. You know what? I started building that fort. When things don't work out, it's just it's just because I'm a pals. I started building that fort. Because it started to identify who I was. It started to identify that this is the process. It became a stronghold. Because then when things didn't work out my way, I knew why. I knew why. Because it was my last name. It was who I was. 
and I started building that. What forts did you start building up? What forts have you started to believe in, in your own life, that you have, that have held you back? It's warfare for your soul, heart, and mind. And where your mind goes, there goes your heart. What thoughts, ideas, reasonings have you taken captive in your heart and in your mind? We see it in the world all around the world today. The amount of videos of pastors out there that are basically saying false things about Jesus break my heart. It really does. But they build up wrong forts. I can't let forts in my life. I can't battle that fort until I battle my fort. You have forts that you have to take care of. Just like I know the two-squared picture where I falsely lied to you for a second. When we get caught up into thinking of those systems and we get caught into buying into that, what forts do you have to break down? As Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The beginning is to know that you're in a spiritual war. We talked about that. And the beginning is to de of destroying the enemy's attacks is to take your thoughts captive and obey Christ to follow the leader I love it. It's not just stopping at take every thought captive. Okay, I got every captive. It's take every thought captive to obey Christ, to tear down those forces and to be able to obey the leader, the one in charge. If you're in a spiritual warfare, you've got to follow the captain. You've got to follow the leader. You've got to follow the one that's making the decisions. Do we do that? We are not helpless victims just waiting we can stop and take our thoughts captives, our thoughts on lust, our thoughts on greed, our thoughts on anger, our thoughts on bitterness, our evil thoughts against our brother, our sister. Every thought can be taken captive in a spiritual warfare. But to do that, we need to know our weapons. And here's the thing, you are ultimately on one side. You can think you're in the middle, but you're either on one side or you're on the other. You're all either Jesus or you're the enemy. For far too long, we had people not knowing that we're in spiritual warfare or how to use spiritual weapons, but we come up with human plans to make it work. Do I believe God works through humans? Yes. Does he work with? Yes. But I think too long is we decide this works more than what God wants belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, to know that we're assured, the breastplate of righteousness. Are our feet ready to spread the gospel? Even when flames are going around, even when stuff is going not our way, are we still ready? Do we have the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation is to know that we're assured? And do we know the sword of the Spirit to reach out? If not, I am encouraging you 
in your D group or with someone that holds you accountable, you need to talk to them and to take those thoughts captive. The last two-thirds of this whole talk really had to do with spiritual warfare, battling, what does that look like, knowing your weapons. The first part was meekness. Why did I choose that at the beginning? It sort of doesn't fit. Well, that, too, was a stronghold for me a long time ago because I, during up through high school, thought meekness was timid. So when I was usually, I could argue NBA stats, I could argue all that kind of stuff, but I had to be quiet enough, not really, because I thought meekness and niceness was what a Christian should be. And that's how I sort of lived, is it sort of dictated who I was for a long time. But then I started reading scripture and started realizing that wasn't really how it should be. I had built a fort. I had built a fort that had dictated my life. And now, if you haven't noticed, I think I've sort of taken that fort off because now I'm up here in front of you talking. But it took destroying a fort, a stronghold, even a misconception about the Bible, which isn't bad. I think you need to be kind. I think you need to be those kind of things. But if even a strong misconception can dictate and change your life, what are those misconceptions in your life? If you're 20, I don't care if you're 80. There might be strongholds that you've held on to for far too long. There are strongholds that have gripped you, that have changed you, of the way you affect people or are around people. And I want those to be broken down. Let the godly weapons tear down the fort in your life. Let the godly weapons to dig in deeper to the belt of truth. Dig in deeper to those and let God dictate, impact, move. Not just because it says it on Google or just because a friend said something dictate your life. Let the word of God, the sword of the spirit, continue 